If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19, I promise I'm not going to throw things from the pulpit this week. But someone asked if I might try Tootsie Rolls this morning, and I hope no one was hurt last week. But this week, I, you know, I was, I was attempting to pull out in heavy traffic. That happens. And I looked in one direction, and there was a break in the traffic. Well, there would have been a break in the traffic in the other direction as well at the same time if the driver, the uncom- oncoming car, had used their signal. But they chose not to do that. And so when the car turned behind me, so turned beside me and passed my window, I threw up my hands in disgust and made this face. <laughs> now, I was on my cell phone at the time. <laughs> so my wife says, what's going on? I said, some blonde is too busy talking on her phone to pay attention to her driving, and now I'm stuck in traffic. To which my sweet wife, sweet when she's not behind the wheel, (laughs) responded, let it go. Now, that is not a particularly interesting story. It's not a particularly compelling story, since probably most of us in this room could tell a similar one about this past week. But if you were here last week, you will remember how I told that very condemning story. Remember? about the associate pastor of the church I attended years ago, how we were going from the, from the same parking space and I beat him there and he gave me that gesture that drivers give one another when they're frustrated before he realized I was a member of his church. So here I am 30 years later and how am I different from him? Certainly my gesture was different than his gesture, but my heart attitude was the same. And and the reason that's so tragic is that last week we talked about cities of refuge. We talked about how they were visible signs, tangible expressions of the value that God places on human life. We talked about how God went out of his way to demonstrate how much he values human life by requiring that those cities be centrally located so that no one would be overcome by their pursuer or or, or drop in exhaustion before they could find a city of refuge. We talked very specifically about how God required that these cities be accessible in a culture when most roads were just paths worn down by the feet of animals. God said, no, build roads to these cities. Make them accessible to all people. We talked about how God, because he loves human life created in his image. He acts to preserve and to protect that life. We talked about the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, and how the cities of refuge find their foundation in this command. And we talked about how we have not obeyed the sixth commandment until we have done all that we can do to preserve and honor human life. The question is, was it all just that? Just talk, 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 talk. See, given my little driving outburst this week, I'm reminded how much I need the Spirit of God to use the truth of God to realign my life. Now, I could let myself off the hook and say, oh, come on, you were just driving. Everybody does that when they drive. Everybody gets frustrated when they drive. No way. Because my reaction came from somewhere came from a place in my heart, a place in my mind. 
And that outburst revealed how both my heart and my mind were out of alignment with how God says I should view and treat other human beings. I can't let myself off the hook for that misalignment. And you can't let yourself off the hook with misalignment either. We will never mature in Christ, I promise. We will never mature in Christ if we're always excusing ourselves. Instead of doing the hard work of working together with the Spirit of God and by the grace of God to live by the truth of God's Word. That's the reason we have this moment in our worship service every single Sunday. This moment where we come together for the preaching of the Word. It's because we recognize that there is only one source of truth in this world. And this is that source of truth. It's words inspired by the God of truth. The God who took on flesh and walked on this earth and called himself Jesus, who said to us, I am the truth. All of us, we get off track in our thinking. Even in the course of one short week, we can begin to list toward what is not true. We can begin to move away from Christ and toward idols and Christ replacements. But the good news is, We have God's word to reorient us, to get us back on the right track. So each of us has to decide right now, as we come together around this word, whether we're more concerned with excusing ourselves and justifying the list and defending the disorientation and being left alone and unchallenged in our misalignment, or if we're more interested in truly getting our lives in line with the word of God. Of course, our prayer is that we would all seek to get our lives in line with the truth of God's word. So that's our prayer this morning. As we come to Deuteronomy chapter 19, I'm going to ask you to stand. As we hear read together the word inspired by the living God. Deuteronomy 19, beginning in verse 1. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he's giving you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities centrally located in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Build roads to them and divide them into three parts, the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, so that anyone who kills a man may flee there. This is the rule concerning the man who kills another and flees there to save his life. One who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without malice, a forethought. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit the neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him even though he's not deserving of death, since he did, since he did it to his neighbor without malice aforethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he promised on oath to your forefathers, and gives you the whole land he promised them, because you faithfully obeyed all these laws I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways. Then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, I'm mindful in this moment that you said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, this morning, in a way that's more real than the physical bread we hold in our hands, your word is bread to feed our souls and to nourish us. We must have it or we will die. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would break the bread of your word to us. Uh, Give us understanding, Lord, and willingness to receive it and to grow and be transformed by it. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. We'll be seated. Last week, we looked at the same passage. And while we were doing that, our focus was mostly on the physical protection that this man who swung the axe needed from those who might attempt who actually were required by the culture of that day to seek to avenge the blood of their dead relative. That man needed physical protection that was afforded by those cities of refuge. But this morning I want us to consider is physical refuge all that man needed? Did he need something more? See, I think as Moses preached to these people gathered on the plains of Moab, he would expect that they would fill in the story that he begins to to sketch here about this man. I think we should do the same thing. The man swinging the axe, he's unnamed, but the situation is real. And this man existed beyond this point in time. He, He had a life before he went into the forest and he had a life after he went into the forest. Moses tells us that the two men in the story were neighbors. And since they are working in the woods together, perhaps they were friends as well. And if they worked together during the day, perhaps they spent their free time together. And maybe their families ate together and their children played together. And maybe even their wives were best friends. So now this man is dead. His children have no father. His wife is a widow. And this man has lost his friend. How many times do you think the man would replay the horror of that incident in his mind? Over and over again. Honestly, who is going to help that man in that moment? Who's going to have just the right words to say to him to make it all better? And I have these questions in a particular way, because when I was about 17 years old, I had a neighbor who was a couple of years younger than I was, and his brother was a couple of years younger than he. And the older brother was using a a gas-powered weed eater with a metal blade, the kind that we all use. We lived in the country, had lots of property to take care of. And while he was swinging the weed eater, the blade flew off of the end of the weed eater and struck his little brother in the chest and killed him instantly. Unspeakable tragedy, understandably. The the, the family was devastated. Our little tight-knit community was devastated. But not nearly as much as the brother who was using that weed eater. He loved his younger brother. They were always together and he was devastated by what happened. And so when I think back to that time, I know that my neighbor didn't need a physical, literal city of refuge. No one was trying to to take his life because he had killed his younger brother. 
But seeing him in the days and the weeks after that tragedy, I know for sure that he needed a refuge for his soul, for all the pain and all the anguish that was in his heart. Who is going to help him? People tried to assure him it wasn't his fault and it certainly wasn't his fault, but that didn't change the fact that he was operating the weed eater and that his little brother was dead. And so as I worked on this passage, this song kept coming to my mind. We used to sing it all the time, the gospel song, where can I go but to the Lord? Where can I go? Oh, where can I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Now, if you had to answer that question this morning, what would your answer be? If you were asked, where can you go to find a refuge for your soul, what would your answer be? I want to debunk this myth that some people persist in believing. You are not in control of your life. You're not in control of your life. You don't know when the axe head is going to fly. Fly from you or fly toward you. You don't. I don't. But when they do, quite unexpectedly, completely apart from our control and completely apart from all the precautions and all the careful planning we do with our lives, what are you going to do? When you truly need help, when you truly need comfort, when you truly need a refuge, where will you find it? And I don't mean fleeting refuge, distractions that last for hours or for a day. Distractions are are just that. They only temporarily prevent you from giving your full attention to something else. And when that distraction is gone, you know, the the weed eater is still going to be standing there in the corner. Where will you go? I'm not talking about something that many people use to numb their lives, physically or emotionally or spiritually, because those things wear off. Where can we go for care and protection and healing of our souls? See, these cities of refuge, honestly, they should make us think deeply about the Lord, about his intentions for us. He's the one that planned them, about the provisions he makes for us and about the relationship that we can and should have with him. If refuge were not something that every single one of us needs, then I don't think the Lord would talk about being a refuge so much. But he does. And perhaps a classic passage on that is Psalm 91. You can turn there if you want. Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. And his faithfulness is a shield and a rampart. This psalm doesn't just concern the physical It doesn't promise that those who know and love the Lord will never be sick. They will be. It doesn't mean that no harm will ever come to them in this sinful world. That harm will come. But the heart 
is protected and the soul is kept safe and true life is preserved. Now, if Psalm 91 is all we had, that would be enough. It would be a a beautiful psalm about the care and the protection of the Lord and finding safety under his wings and standing in the safety of his very, very large shadow cast by, by his strong being. But this psalm doesn't sing a solo. It's joined by a whole chorus of other songs that sing the same message in a different uh, way, but, but, but they all harmonize beautifully. Psalm 2, 9, 11, 14, 16, 18, 28, 31, 34, 37, 46, 64, 71, 73, 90, 94, 118, 141, 142, 143. Now, in case you lost count, that was 21 psalms. 21 psalms sing out this message of the refuge and the protection of the Lord. Psalm 94, but the Lord has become my fortress. Psalm 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Those who know your name trust in you. Psalm 142, look and see. There's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living, a stronghold in times of trouble. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. One more. Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So I ask again, if, if you and I didn't need refuge, why would God talk about it so much in his word? Why would God provide whole cities to be places of refuge? refuge. See, the biggest challenge for you and for me is just admitting our need. That's the hardest part. It's like going to an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous. They, they say the most difficult part is standing up and saying, hello, my name is Craig. And I'm an alcoholic. Now, I know this is being recorded. I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> it's just by way of illustration. Admitting our need It's tough, but we say, hello, Lord, my name is Craig and I need refuge. See, we we have to admit it, but it's tough, particularly for men. You know, who wants to walk up to John Wayne, the Duke? You know, I just really feel like I need a little refuge in my life. Or, Or say that to your commanding officer or your football coach. They would probably get in your face and shout that you're weak and that you're worthless if you want to run and hide. And in their setting, that may be true. 
because you need to be tough on the football field and you need to be brave in the battlefield and you need to be hardy in the saddle when you're riding out into the Wild West alongside John Wayne. But we can't equate the need for refuge with cowardice because they're not the same. You are not a coward when you recognize that this world is too big for you. You know, Frank Sinatra can sing, he's got the world on the string, but I know I don't. And you don't. All of us, we are vulnerable and we are exposed in this world that we don't control. Even our sin is too big for us. The biggest one here, the toughest one here, we're all ill-equipped, unequipped to do anything about our sin and it will literally kill us. And so all of us, We need to be shepherded through this world. We need a refuge as we make our way through this world. So we just need to admit it. Regardless of the messages that our secular humanistic society sends our way, we're not created to make it on our own. And you and I, we can dig as deep as we want within ourselves. That's what we're told to do. And we can dig, 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 dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. What is it that we think we're going to find? What are we going to strike if we dig deeply enough? You know, who who told us the lie? Who told us the lie that deep within us is all we need for lasting help or hope or for shelter? Uh Uh-uh. We're not created to be independent entities on our own. We need the help. We need the shelter that only Christ can provide. But here's our problem. Another one. We have a lot. But the world is trying to lure us away from Christ, away from the city of refuge. Because the world has its own kind of refuge, and that's where they want us to be. See, the Abercrombie and Fitch model that stares at me from the larger-than-life poster in the store window when I walk by, says to me, hey, Craig, you need help. (laughs) You really shouldn't live in this world looking like you look. So quick, run in here, dash in here, and I'll see what I can do to help you. But guess what? You know what? (laughs) I can stay all day long in that Abercrombie and Fitch store and the workers there can try on every article of clothing that they have in the store and they can apply all the product they have to my hair and they can baptize me with all the cologne that they carry in that store. But I'm never going to be blessed by that because I'm never going to look like that model. And not to be offensive guys, but most of you aren't going to look like that guy either. You ladies, why are you laughing? Because you're going to walk on down the street (laughs) and Victoria's Secret's going to say the same thing to you. See, they offer false hope to remedy the wrong problem. And those are just two stores. Those are just two stores. There are many others. And each of them offer their own special refuge for us. Each of them saying that they can bless you in their particular way. Don't believe them. Don't let them lure you away from the Lord. He is your only refuge. He calls us to come and to hide in Him. 
You know what? I believe that's what God is calling me to do this morning, if nothing else. And that's just remind all of us where it is we rightly belong. And we rightly belong in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Turn there because it's so important. It's in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I get it. I don't hear page turning anymore because everybody's on their phone. That truly is a thing, isn't it? You know, you used to hear pages turning. I'm like, nobody's going there. All right, Colossians chapter three, verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now listen, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do you hear that? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That is where we belong. Hidden in Christ. And think of that word hidden. It suggests, you know, mystery and, and secrecy. Because deep, hidden springs that the world doesn't know and the world can't offer, that's what feed, uh, feed and nourish our souls. That's where we are washed over and, and healed. It's what we find hidden in Christ. Where could I go? To the Lord. In some way, beyond our ability to explain, we find real help and we find real refuge in the Lord. You're hidden in Christ. That means you're in a very safe place, a doubly safe place because you are with Christ in God. Think about that man who was seeking refuge in the city of refuge. Even if his pursuers were hot on his trail, even if they were just a little bit too far to shoot an arrow and hit him, think of how desperately he's running to that city. But once he makes it inside that city, he can stop running. He can turn around and he can calmly look his pursuer in the face because they can no longer harm him, he has found refuge in the city of refuge. He was safe. And so are we in Christ. Safe in Christ. We have an identity in Christ. Not Abercrombie guy, not Victoria girl. No, in Christ. And so you and I need to take our position in him and find our refuge in him. Jesus, very last public words. This is so interesting. The last words that he publicly spoke as a public teaching where people were listening, they address this very issue. And these are the very last words Jesus spoke publicly in a teaching way. From Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. So here, completely consistent with the message of the God who required the building of the cities of refuge, completely consistent with the message of those 21 Psalms in the book of Psalms are the words of the God who took on flesh and dwelled among us. I will be your refuge. I want to gather you under my wings. The chicken hawk, he has concentrated his gaze on the barnyard and his claws are outstretched and he seeks to carry you away to destruction. 
but I'll protect you. The black clouds have formed and the rain has started and now it's torrential. But you won't be drowned. You won't be washed away because I will protect you. These are the words of Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And what compassion must have been in his voice when he spoke these words, always when he repeated himself. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, people of God. I, as your creator, know where you belong and it's right here under the wing of my protection. But people didn't want to hear that message, obviously. They didn't want to be told that they needed help or needed hope. They want to be told that Christ is the only help and the only hope. People then and today want to cling to their independence. We want to cling to our way of life. So what do they do? They kill the messenger. No, no, no. We don't want to hear that message. We don't like it. And so no wonder there was such emotion in Jesus' voice, such lament. Because Jesus knows that all of us have this uncanny ability to self-ruin and self-destruct. Jesus knows that we have this uncanny ability to self-ruin and to self-destruct, to refuse the offer of help that he extends. And so Jesus laments because he knows the end of those who will not take their refuge in him. They will be left alone exposed, not covered, not protected by that robe of Christ's righteousness when they stand before the holy God whom they have rejected. He knows the end will be eternal death and destruction. But make no mistake about it this morning. Make no mistake about it. That destruction will come because they refused the offer of refuge in Christ. Their destruction will come because they proudly refused to admit their need for refuge. Or their destruction will come because admitting that they needed refuge, they rejected Jesus as an unattractive or ineffective offer or both. Those of us here this morning who have fled to Christ for refuge We've got to stay in him. And we've got to tell ourselves, this isn't temporary. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you for refuge, but j- just until I get better. Okay, Lord, just until I get better. Then I'll go back out on my own. No. You and I have no business wandering away from the Lord ever. We are to stay hidden in Christ, under his wing, in his shadow, in his tower, in his fortress. You choose the image that you like the best, but they all depict the same thing. And that's closeness to Christ, in him, near him, under his wing. I'm not suggesting this morning that we withdraw or hide or take refuge from the world. I'm actually suggesting the opposite. You know, we need to fully engage this culture, this Abercrombie culture that's luring us away, but but not on our own, only with Christ, only and always near Christ. So when we go into those tough situations, Christ, protect me. When we face tough temptation, Christ, strengthen me. When tragedy comes, Christ, heal my heart. When the cultural messages bombard us, Christ, I'm near you. Whisper your truth 
into my ear. Don't run away from Christ towards someone or something else. In all of life, you and I must be running toward Christ. Those cities of refuge were centrally located and they were easily accessible. A 45-foot wide road led to them. And those roads were annually compared, uh, repaired and kept in good condition. And there were signposts along the way. At every crossroad, there was a marker reading refuge, refuge, and it pointed the way to those cities. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. The Jesus who said, seek and you will find. He's not hidden. In fact, he was lifted up on a cross, wasn't he? High on a cross so that all could see and all could flee to him. And so maybe what we should mimic most in this passage in Deuteronomy is the desperation of the man who is running for refuge in that city. So I think it will be good. I know it will be good. It will really be good for all of us here this morning to stop and think. Not right now, you don't have time. But sometime today or the next few days, ask yourselves, how desperate are you for Christ? Really? Are you desperate for him? How far do you think you can make it on your own? See, if you're not desperate, if we're not fleeing to Christ, then you and I, we don't truly know ourselves. We don't yet know ourselves. And we don't truly understand our deepest needs. We, we think we have needs, but they're not our deepest needs. And we don't really know who Christ is and what he can do for us. And so if your life is out of alignment, even now, if you're running to something else or someone else for comfort, for refuge, believing that they will make you safe, you won't be safe and you're believing a lie, and you're placing on them a a burden and a pressure that they can't handle, they're not equipped to be your refuge. And so they will break under the pressure. Then where will you be? See, our our lives are lived best when they are lived in alignment to the truth of God. And that means we're always running toward Christ. We're always hiding in him. And we're always asking ourselves today, oh, where can I go? Where can I find refuge for my soul? Where can I go but to the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask now that you would cause the reality of your word to be real in our lives. Lord, it's abundantly clear throughout your word that you are the only refuge. You are the only hope, the only help for people like us, for people like all the people who've come before us, for people like all the people that will come after us. There is, for all time, only one hope, and that's found in you, Lord Jesus, our shelter, our fortress, our stronghold, our refuge. That's who you are. Lord, we know that we look other places in our lives. I know that I do. I know that others here look to other people to be their refuge, their hope, their help. Oh, I can depend on that person. We look to other things to give us security. 
Lord, I pray that you would convince us uh, of the lie that we will be safe. With those people or with those things, we won't be. They're so fleeting. It can change tomorrow. People can die. Bank accounts can be drained in an instant. Then where will we be? Lord, we have nowhere to go but you, the only one who is ever faithful, the only one who is ever sure. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us here this morning would find our, our hope and our help and our refuge in you. Lord, may we hide ourselves in you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.